Looking at our gospel today, our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans is the first of the letters in the New Testament, but it was probably the last letter that Paul wrote. At the time, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are squabbling about who counts as in in the family of God. Paul rebukes them both, but in this section, he specifically challenges the Jewish Christians on their superiority complex, and he does it with the story of Abraham. This reading is from the book of Romans. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right, instead of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do and you trust God to do it, you could never do it for yourself no matter how hard and long you worked, well that, trusting him to do it, is what gets you set right with God by God, sheer gift. That famous promise God gave Abraham, that he and his children would possess the earth, was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they're told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed, that eliminates trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise, that's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer with plenty of fine print only makes sure you'll never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and God's way and then just embracing what God does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. This is the word of the Lord. So that is the translation from the message version of the Bible, which is a paraphrase. Paul can get a little bit wordy in his letters, so the message is a little bit easier to wrap our head around. But, all right, let's start with just a little bit of a history lesson. So, um, remember that Christianity starts as a reform movement within Judaism, right? So at this time when Paul is writing, there are two kinds of uh, followers of Jesus. We wouldn't even call them Christians yet. Two kinds of followers of Jesus. First, you have the Jewish Christians, and they um, are following Jesus, but they are also um, keeping kosher with how they eat. Uh, celebrating holy days, um, getting circumcised, all of the traditional practices of Judaism. And then we have the Gentile or the non-Jewish Christians who aren't doing any of those things. And these two groups are together trying to follow Jesus together. And was, when Paul writes, there's a lot of squabbling between the Jewish and Gentile Christians about who counts, who's in, who's, who's in the family. So in Romans, Paul actually rebukes both of them 
in different sections. But in this section, he's talking um, to the Jewish Christians, and he's kind of challenging them on everything that's making them think that they're superior to other followers of Jesus because of their Jewish practices. So he challenges them on that, and he uses the story of Abraham, at this point still Abram, to do it. So essentially he says, look at Abraham. What made him special? Why is he important to us? Is it because of everything he did? Is it because he picked up his family? Is it because he moved to a new place, total foreign country? Is it because he got circumcised at age 99? Not that that's not a big deal, but no, that is not what made him special. What made him special, the reason he's important to us, is because of his faith. Right? He trusted God, and he was willing to receive this promise that God had for him. And that, when he's willing to do that, when he's willing to open himself and receive, that is when he gets set right. That's when he receives this saving grace, this gift that God gives him. This gift that, for him, and for everybody who comes after him, all the way down to us, this gift that totally changes everything. So then Paul fast forwards to these first century Christians and their squabbles and says, so you want to know why you're part of Abraham's family? You want to know why you can call him Father Abraham? It's not because of the things you do. It's not whether or not you can actually trace to him in your bloodlines. It's not because you keep kosher and get circumcised and celebrate the high holy days, because this is the Jewish Christians he's talking to. The reason that Abraham is your father in the faith is because you received the same grace that Abraham did from the same God that Abraham did. This is totally a gift, and it's a gift that changes everything. So then you fast forward another couple of centuries and you get to us and you get to the crazy rat race of uh, work and modern parenting and modern Christianity. And how many of us feel like, uh, I, I probably should be praying a little bit more than I do. And I probably should be, you know, helping other people a little bit more than I do. And I probably should be eating a little bit better than I do and taking a little bit better care of my body than I do and working a little bit harder than I do. I think most of us feel this way most of the time. Like, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm not terrible, but I'm really I'm just not quite good enough, right? So there's this church in Texas. It's a really big church. Everything is big in Texas. And at this big, big church, this church has three giant banners in the front of the sanctuary. It's like right where your eyes would go when you come to church. Three huge banners hanging down. And the first banner says, do more. And the second banner says, serve more. And the third banner says, give more. Isn't that horrible? Wouldn't you hate to go to church and look at these things there? Just imagine you go to that church, right? 
and you're praying and you really, you want to do a good job and you want to be a good follower of Jesus and a good person, you look up at those banners and you're like, okay, this is a sign, this is a big sign for me from God. I know what I have to do. I need to go out and I need to do some more and I need to give some more and I need to serve some more. Okay, I got this. So you go out that week and you, you work so hard, right? And you try to do all of the things and help all of the people and give everything you can. You work really hard, then you come back to church the next Sunday and you look up at the wall. Do more! Give more! Serve more! So you go, okay, I guess that wasn't enough. I gotta go out, I gotta try a little bit harder. You go out again and you try and do everything and serve everybody and give away everything you have. And you come back to church the next week and what do you see? The exact same thing. It would be just, that would be just awful. But I think a lot of us feel, even without the banners, I think we just like feel that way. And here maybe is why. Do you guys remember, if you were here last week, we had the story of Adam and Eve and their temptation in the garden. Do you want to hear the story of what really happened in the garden? Okay, I'm going to tell you. It goes like this. So Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're just enjoying where they are. Um, enjoying all of it, soaking it all in. They haven't even bothered to put on clothes. They're so relaxed and happy. And they're just um, enjoying this beautiful gift that God has given them. And then the serpent sees this and is like, oh, this will never do. So the serpent takes something and puts it in a box and wraps the box in beautiful paper and wraps the paper in a beautiful bow and gives this beautiful gift to Adam and Eve. So they get this beautiful gift, they unwrap the bow, unwrap the paper, they open the box, and in the box are three words. Protestant work ethic. And there are even rules that come with these instructions that come right with it. And the instructions are really simple. It says this. The more you work, the more God will love you. And the less you work, the less God will love you. And Adam and Eve tried it, and grace was no more, and God wept. Think about, think about grades. Think about commissions. Think about Bonuses, think about they got what they deserved. Every dollar I have, I've earned. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I am what I do. Think about all of those things. Put all of that in a box and just get rid of it. Forget about all of that and listen to this, okay? And I really mean this. You are deeply beloved. Deeply beloved, completely known, never alone, always cherished. And this love, this is primary, right? This is primary. Any question of how then shall I live, totally secondary. You are loved. Do as you will. Because there is nothing there is nothing you could ever do or fail to do that would change that first and most important story. 
You could never do another good work in your life, right? Never say another prayer. Never crack open your Bible. Never lift a finger to make this world a better place. Sit around exhausted all day, and it still would not change that story. You are loved. Do as you will. Do as you will. Now, of course, this is all a little awkward, right? Because you're here at church, and you know what we do at church? We're always asking you to do things here at church, right? Today, we're asking like 500 people to show up and serve and volunteer at this food pack that we have next week. And you don't even know it yet, but we're about to launch this big effort to get at least 300 people to fill out time and talent forms where you mark on it areas around church where you might be willing to wait for it, do more, serve more, and give more, right? We do hope that you get to be part of this place in new ways all the time. But it's not a should. It's never a should. If it feels like a should, don't do it. Seriously. You absolutely don't have to do it. I know it's Lent, but even during Lent, we are resurrection people. And on this side of the cross, there are no shoulds. There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is only grace. There's only mercy. There's only love. And it's all a gift. And it's the gift that changes everything. It changes everything. So yes, I hope after service you flood the narthex to go sign up for everything everywhere that we have going on at church. But don't do it because it feels like a should. Do it because you love God and you want to love God even more. Do it because you're free and you want to celebrate that freedom. Do it because you are rich and that richness just can't help it. It just overflows from you and spreads to the people around you. Because, let me be very clear about this. You are very special. And you have some incredible gifts to offer this world. But it's not your gift that changes everything. Amen.